Welcome everyone to our session, A View from the FDA, Cybersecurity in the Healthcare and Public Sector. My name is Carl Wright. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at Attack IQ. I'm joined today by Dr. Suzanne Schwartz from the Food and Drug Administration. So let me give you a quick uh, background on Suzanne. It's quite amazing. Suzanne has an extensive background in cyber and is currently serving as the Director of the Office of Strategic Partnerships and Technology Innovation at the FDA Center for Device and Radiological Health also known as the CDRH. Her work in medical device cybersecurity includes raising awareness, education, outreach, policy, development, partnering, and coalition building within the healthcare and public health sector. Suzanne has been recognized for excellence in the innovation at the FDA Women's History Month for her work in medical device cybersecurity. She also chairs the CDRH's cybersecurity working group, as well as co-chairs the Government Coordinating Council for the Healthcare Critical Infrastructure Sector. And most recently notable, she's the recipient of the HISAC 2021 Ruthie Award in recognition of her leadership in healthcare cybersecurity during a global pandemic. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Suzanne, it's great to be back on the virtual stage with you. Can you tell us what you're up to at the FDA these days? Sure. A lot of really exciting stuff going on. Of course, my office was very much engaged and still is engaged in the public health emergency response to COVID-19. I want to talk a little bit, though, about our broader portfolio, which includes the establishment of the Digital Health Center of Excellence. And the DHCOE, which is what we call it for short, really amplifies the place where we are today and where we're heading as a nation, as a global community as well, in terms of medical technology and its expansiveness well beyond the brick and mortar facility of the hospital, uh, but also for individuals who are walking around with medical devices who are utilizing medical devices that are residing at home, uh, that are in other types of environments. And so uh, it really represents where we are heading in as far as a lot of the emerging technologies to meet the emerging needs, which were very much surfaced through the COVID-19 response. I mean, it sounds like a, a significantly challenging mission. And, you know, I think 2020 was particularly a difficult year for so many people, but particularly the provider networks, you know, that were uh, helping so many people. In one of the previous tracks uh, of Purple Hats, they talked about the healthcare system being under siege and they were specifically addressing ransomware. And I, I know that, you know, uh, the FDA, um, you know, is 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 pretty aware of the challenges that they're facing. What's your perspective on the situation? Yeah, I uh, I have to say, just even paying attention, of course, to everything that's going on around us today in the news with all of the cyber attacks, cyber campaigns occurring across critical infrastructure. And folks often forget that healthcare, healthcare and public health is actually one of the sectors of critical infrastructure. We have become that much more reliant on the need for these technologies that have to operate remotely, that are interconnected, that are interoperable, and that rely on the capabilities of cyber networks. Um, and so that puts so much more of a light to be shined on 
the need for robust cybersecurity within the healthcare sector. As you've mentioned, Carl, we've seen a fair number of ransomware attacks occur over the course of the past year, over the course of the pandemic. And when you think about the additional strain that that puts on the healthcare environment, which was already taxed, which was already over, you know, overly stressed and strained by numbers of patients coming into hospitals and uh, the numbers of patients needing to uh, receive critical care, and then putting those healthcare institutions in a compromised situation as a result of a ransomware attack really puts the entire critical infrastructure in jeopardy. It certainly compromises it. And uh, the idea of thinking about these kind of hybrid, even uh, emergencies, hybrid attacks in that you're dealing with a pandemic and on top of that, the overlay of the potential for a cyber attack is a, a shift in mindset and one that we really need to be thinking about globally. Well, and, you know, obviously the FDA spends a lot of time talking to both the medical device manufacturers as well as the provider networks, right, uh, that are providing this invaluable service to uh, the patients. And I, I'm sensing, you know, a, a real challenge because it seems like it's a patient safety issue, but you're dealing with a cybersecurity domain. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, a lot of our messaging, what we've been socializing, really tries to bridge those concepts in the sense that we view cybersecurity through the lens of patient safety. We do. Um, let's remember that FDA is a public health agency, uh, and our oversight is to ensure that these devices, these medical devices, have a reasonable assurance of safety and effectiveness. That's actually the language out of the statute. And our mission is to protect and to promote the public health. If a device, if a medical device is compromised in some way, shape or form, it could, you know, just the same way it could be physically manipulated or compromised. If it's compromised through a cyber attack so that either the integrity of the data is in question the performance and functionality of the devices in question, or it's actually even rendered inoperable, such as a denial of service, that means the device cannot operate or safely um, and it cannot deliver the intervention that is supposed to deliver. That puts patients at harm. So it is important for us at FDA to further bring that level of awareness, that level of situational awareness to manufacturers, to healthcare delivery organizations, importantly to clinical providers who really, you know, kind of view these as two di distinctly different uh, remits, cybersecurity and patient safety, but, you know, bringing it together to understand there's a confluence here and that FDA in reviewing medical devices now that come in as pre-market submissions, cybersecurity is an integral component of that review to assure that a device, once it then goes on the market, is appropriately designed and developed in in terms of even the threat modeling, you know, that, right. that needs to go into it so that it can be resilient towards an attack. 
Well, you know, <clears throat> I've been hearing the word resilient quite a bit, but I haven't been hearing that, to be frank, in the healthcare sector. I hear it quite often in the uh, financial sector where, you know, the regulatory bodies are coming into the banks now and talking about the resilience against ransomware. And what's their, you know, and they're thinking about it, obviously, in the from a customer-centric perspective, you know, are you backing up that data? What's your ability to service your customers? But it strikes me that healthcare has an even more challenging environment because of the, you know, it's not about money, it's about lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have a ways to go in terms of developing resilience. There's no question around that. Um, our approach is one of the total product life cycle, what we call TPLC. And now let's also impose or overlay the importance of the secure software development life cycle. And what we know is that many medical devices today remain legacy devices or legacy technologies and equipment. Uh, they were initially designed and developed to serve, um, and they are capital equipment, capital investments that are made by facilities with the intent on being in clinical use for many years. We can talk about a decade or, or longer, 15 years, in some cases, 20 years. Uh, so when you think about the genesis of those devices, some CTs, MRIs, others, um, they certainly were not built at that time with the vision or recognition that we would be encountering what we're encountering today and the need to be able to, in a very agile way, in a very nimble way, withstand the ability for updates and patches on a regular basis and fixes without, you know, without, uh, I, I use the term brittle. So the opposite is, in, in other words, being we want them to be resilient. We want them to be able to take on those patches, those updates without any impact towards their performance from a safety perspective. And so that's where there is a way to go. Um, and, and this is actually a focus of not only efforts that FDA has, but working, you know, across global regulators and the global industry, the International Medical Device Regulators Forum, as well as within the U.S. with uh, and through public-private sector partnerships on legacy technologies being one of the biggest challenges we have towards, you know, as you're pointing out in finance, you know, uh, towards reaching resilience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, several years ago, we were on stage together at Black Hat and we were talking mm -hmm. about medical devices. And, you know, one of the examples we had was a blood gas analyzer that was still running Windows 2000. Obviously, yeah. a, you know, a very old operating system that doesn't have any patches available. And, you know, we've spoken many times in the past about common misconceptions regarding medical device manufacturers and FDA certification and what can be done to secure um, these devices post-certification. Can you dispel some of the myths that are pertaining to these medical device security and how organizations can augment cyber defensive capabilities for them? No, absolutely. And in fact, um, we, kept, we keep on hearing the same refrain from many medical device manufacturers, uh, particularly the, uh, the folks that they send out uh, on behalf of their uh, company, on behalf of their product to healthcare delivery organizations, indicating that um, we're not able to do anything in terms of deploying patches because that will 
quote unquote, decertify the device. We'll have to go back to the FDA in order to uh, make sure that the device is still FDA certified. Um, because of this, we put out a fact sheet. I actually have the FDA fact sheet right here. Let me see if this is going to work. But just so people know that they can refer to it um, off of our website, uh, our FDA website. And it speaks of, uh, you know, several things that uh, we tried to myth bust on. One of them, I'll say, is cybersecurity for medical devices is optional. That's certainly not the case. Um, we view uh, medical device uh, security as really part of the quality systems regulation under that larger umbrella. It might not have said cybersecurity going back years ago in the regulation, but because of our ability to evolve our thinking when it comes to risk management, cybersecurity falls under that larger remit. And therefore, cybersecurity of medical devices is not optional. And we are not going to clear or approve medical devices that do not have adequate cybersecurity, number one. Number two, we've taken actions post uh, market on devices that uh, are not cyber secure and that have what we call uncontrolled vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities that simply don't have the adequacy of compensating controls or abilities to mitigate against the potential for patient harm if the vulnerability were to be exploited. So that's one. Another one that you pointed out to, which is a really important one, is that medical device manufacturers cannot update devices for cybersecurity. And, and that's simply not true. We've stated in our pre-market and in our post-market guidance that, that changes made solely to strengthen cybersecurity do not require coming back to the FDA for uh, a new submission. Uh, they are, you know, they are considered, uh, again, appropriate changes to be made and, and they should be made. You'll see more of that because what's happening right now is uh, as this field continues to further evolve in cybersecurity, um, we're hearing about all kinds of other new potential uh, uh, technologies that can assist with healthcare delivery organizations in further securing what are older devices. And questions are coming up and are being brought to FDA all the time around well, the manufacturer tells us that we're not allowed as a healthcare organization to do anything uh, because that will uh, take away the certification of the device. Um, and some of these we have to handle case by case because they are newer. However, uh, the majority of the, again, concept here is one that medical device manufacturers really need to be updating their devices when a vulnerability is identified, when patches are out, it's their responsibility to do so. It is really encouraging to hear that, you know, the FDA, you know, is publishing this and, and that this information is out there and that uh, both the Office of the Medical Device Manufacturers and the healthcare organizations um, can take advantage of that to make better decisions. And, you know, if the, F, if the medical device manufacturers are responsible for you know, obviously remaining diligent because the threat landscape is is changing constantly, right? And so they need they need internally to identify risk and hazards associated with these medical devices that they have, both legacy and new emergent capabilities that 
you know, create, you know, advancements in patient care. Um, but what roles do the healthcare delivery organizations have in this relationship then as it pertains to the ultimate patient safety? Yeah, um, important question. So um, we've always said, and this is not unique to healthcare, uh, but really across all areas or all industries, that cybersecurity is shared ownership, shared responsibility. It doesn't sit on any one stakeholders' uh, shoulders, but it, it has to be very much a collective effort, a partnership. Um, and so one of the things that we state very clearly in the fact sheet and that we recommend all the time is that healthcare delivery organizations who absolutely want to be proactive and uh, uh, providing the appropriate defenses on their systems should, you know, should certainly be reaching out to medical device manufacturers, uh, particularly if they're not sure in terms of what they can or cannot do or should or should not do, because the best of all possible worlds is they work that together. Um, we are, you know, delighted to see that there's been a lot of progress, particularly over the past couple of years in a pilot effort convened through the Department of Commerce's NTIA on, for example, uh, the software transparency. And the pilot effort that uh, it was rolled out as kind of the inaugural effort on software transparency was taken up by the healthcare community, by several healthcare delivery organizations, their CISOs, working together with medical device manufacturers to come up with a framework uh, or with an initial kind of first generation of S-bonds, of software bill of materials, and uh, to utilize that upon which to build out further as something that could be operationalized and put to use within healthcare organizations uh, in a uh, in a more distributed kind of a, in a more dispersed way. That's an example also of healthcare delivery organizations really you know taking up the charge as they recognize their responsibility to protect their assets, to protect their systems from a cybersecurity perspective, and that means uh, being in the know, being in, in being aware of all of the third party, for example, components that are sitting on their systems, sitting within medical devices. So we've been working together, you know, with uh, these stakeholders in terms of getting to that point of transparency. Um, and this is, um, well, it, it's no, it's not going to be a shocker or a surprise. Obviously, this is also very much in line with the new executive order. Uh, by the president, you know, that talks about obviously for, um, uh, for systems that are procured for the federal government. We have a little visitor here. Um, <laughs> want to say hello? <laughs> there you go. Um, this is truly a virtual has, conference. You get everything. Has to, has to make her a special appearance. What can I say? <laughs> um, but, um, uh, you know, the president's executive order, which uh, puts a light, shines a light on the importance of software bill materials and software transparency. And FDA said this back a few years ago in our medical device safety action plan, that that's something that we are looking to require 
Um, it's certainly a recommendation already in our guidance, uh, but we're, you know, looking to uh, assist both the healthcare delivery organization side, um, as well as obviously the manufacturers so that there's, you know, ability to protect and to mitigate against the possibility of what are going to be emerging vulnerabilities over the lifetime of device. This way, if you know where the vulnerabilities are, you can protect. Yeah. And, you know, it's, Again, that's encouraging here. And also the, the name of this conference is Purple Hats, which represents you know, from a cyber perspective, you know, different teams coming together in a unified approach to, um, you know, to protect the organization. Right. And in common terms, it's red teams and blue teams in many aspects that create the purple. Uh, but, you know, this is really the medical device manufacturers and healthcare organizations coming together, working together from a unified perspective in order to ensure, you know, that uh, patient safety and, and that these critical services can be delivered. So this topic fits, I think, perfectly into kind of our, our conference theme for today. Well, that's great. So one question I, I, I have to ask you is in, in lieu of kind of third party risk and all the different things, and, uh, events of interest and breaches and incidents we've been dealing with in 2020, mm -hmm. With third-party risk and medical device manufacturers and uh, uh, provider networks, um, how does the FDA think about this in relation to solar winds and some of the things that have been going on out there? Yeah, I think uh, uh, like with everything else that's been going on, particularly over the past uh, year plus, we really try to take lessons learned. Uh, you know, whether we are dealing with something directly um, that uh, from which there's uh, something to be gleaned, to put it, be put into practice, or whether we're viewing this through the lens of what's happening within other sectors. And we had already been in the process of making our new pre-market guidance, which will be coming out as draft by the end of this year, a far more robust, really raise the bar um, in terms of what our expectations are of medical device manufacturers. And had, you know, had that in the works already pre-pandemic, but there certainly were, you know, through the course of this past year. And then obviously, you know, examples like solar winds and other third party, uh, solar winds certainly got the public's attention as did the recent, uh, pipeline attack. But there have been a few that have been uh, perhaps lesser known, but certainly um, ubiquitous third-party vulnerabilities that could affect many medical devices that uh, we had to run multiple fire drills over the past year. Uh, and uh, each time, you know, looked at each other at FDA and said, now, if we had... If there were known inventory in terms of the uh, third party components that are sitting in all of these devices, how much more uh, nimble all of us, the government, as well as the private sector could be in being able to, first off, identify where, where are the devices at risk, uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to across the board, you know, the entire ocean. So there's that piece of it. And then the ability to not only know where they are, but then to be able to uh, further assess for a potential impact. 
maybe the assessment of impact would be minimal uh, and doesn't require any action. But um, so these the third party uh, components, the third party software is an area of uh, of certainly of, of consternation and therefore the importance of having, uh, again, transparency around that and putting the S-bombs in place. Uh, and that's probably the biggest lessons learned, you know, from watching what's been happening. The only other point that I would also make is that um, this is a little bit of diverging from third party, but recognizing that... Um, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear, you know, perhaps the attackers state, well, we're, we're not, you know, doing anything that's malicious that would cause people harm, you know, harm to the public. Uh, what we're doing, you know, might have, uh, some other criminal effect, but it's not, you know, it's not intended to cause patient harm. What's not recognized there, though, are the cascading consequences or the ripple effects. Of any one of the, that, that the attackers, you know, whether they're nation states or others may simply not be aware of, but we are, we see those effects. We've seen them through the supply chain disruption all throughout the pandemic. Right. Uh, you know, so it, it's not just simply about, you know, not having uh, ability to get gas at the gas station, but there are other ramifications of that that actually can affect the ability to render clinical care. Um, and, and that's why I think it's important to take on a more holistic view of cybersecurity for critical infrastructure, as opposed to, you know, really looking at it through, you know, very myopic or blinders on. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Well, as you as you take a look uh, to the rest of this year and, and your crystal ball in 2021, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the important things the FDA uh, that you can talk about are, are thinking yeah. about and we should expect? Yeah, so certainly I know that uh, our manufacturers, our industry, and the healthcare organizations as well are waiting with bated breath for this guidance to come out. Uh, this was a, uh, you know, this is a new iteration of a pre-market guidance that was issued years back, a few in 2014. We then put it out as draft again in 2018, got lots and lots of public comment on it. We took a real, you know, uh, a hard look at it and revised it, that draft significantly. So it will be coming out again. We're targeting the end of this year, 2021. It will come out as draft once more, which will allow everyone to provide public comment to it. Uh, but we think that this is going to be a really robust uh, guidance. Um, and in addition to that, We've also been very clear about the fact that we are looking for additional authorities, legislative authorities, um, and those will focus on areas like SBOM, areas like uh, vulner coordinated vulnerability disclosure, which is right now really a voluntary effort if a medicalized manufacturer chooses to be proactive. We believe that it should be required across the board to level the playing field. And then also in terms of uh, additional authorities around what it is that we could require of manufacturers to be included within their pre-market submission that has uh, really, you know, ramifications towards the entire product life cycle. And what I mean by that is evidence that the device is capable of being patched 
and updated without having failures of performance. So that um, those are examples of things that are really important to us um, in terms of FDA directly. There's a lot that we're working on in partnership with the private sector that will be coming out over the course of this year. A lot of our work, just to also highlight, is very patient-centric and patient-engagement-focused. So um, we are working on a framework for how to communicate to patients about vulnerabilities and how to empower patients who rely on medical devices better so that they know the questions to ask of their clinicians, because that will really raise the bar even for clinicians to be better aware if they're going to be hearing questions from their patients around cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, those are just some of the examples. Well, you know, I have to tell you, it is also encouraging to me to hear about uh, giving the FDA a little bit more teeth and how they deal with the medical device manufacturers, because it is a life cycle issue. And, you know, uh, obviously, I think medical device manufacturers, they want to do a good job, but they're under their own constraints that they're dealing with in, in this particular space. So I, I think this is a really good thing, and I'm very encouraged to hear that. You know, I, I did hear a story <clears throat> the other day where, uh, you know, a certain provider network had uh, you know been the subject of a breach. And, you know, and this was actually in a coffee shop. And, uh, you know, this person said, you know what, I'm not going to that hospital anymore. I'm going to the other one down mm-hmm. the road. So, I, so I, mm-hmm. I get a sense that people are becoming more aware, even folks that, you know, are not in this business, that, you know, there there is a difference and it is important. And they are going to make, you know, potential um, decisions in their life based on, uh, you know, who they who's protecting them, their data. And, of course, in this particular case, patient safety is paramount. Sure. Absolutely. Well, look, I really appreciate, as always, your time today, Suzanne. It's been great chatting with you. And, you know, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carl. It's wonderful to be with you. It's almost time for our closing keynote, which I'm sure you're not going to want to miss. Uh, You know what time it is. It's time for another break. So we'll see you back here in five minutes.